Welcome to the Reconstructing Healthcare podcast, a show where we discuss what's wrong with healthcare and talk with innovative companies disrupting the health insurance marketplace. Join us as we explore strategies to help employers lower healthcare costs and build a better health plan. Now here's your host, Michael Maneri. Hello, this is Michael Maneri, and I want to welcome everyone to the Reconstructing Healthcare podcast. Today, our guest is Sean McBride from Lyra Health. Sean, welcome to the show. Thank you, Michael. Excited to be here. Excellent. So here's the game plan. What we seek to do on this show is challenge the status quo and educate our audience on non-traditional methods to lower their healthcare costs and improve value for their employees. What we typically do to start these interviews is, you know, read a beef bio about you and, and uh, your company so our audience has a little bit of context about who they're listening to. So uh, we'll get started with that. Sean McBride is the head of partnerships at Lyra Health, where he leads channel partnerships and sales with employers. Lyra is transforming mental health care by creating a frictionless experience for patients, providers, and employers. Using technology and data, Lyra connects companies and their employees to mental health providers, therapy, and coaching programs that actually work. As one of Lyra's first employees, Sean plays a leading role in developing Lyra's corporate strategy, including the creation of Lyra's EAP Reimagined Solution. Prior to Lyra, Sean worked in digital health and health policy at Castlight Health, the White House's National Economic Council, and the Brookings Institution Health Policy Reform Center. Sean has an MBA from the Harvard Business School and an MPP from the Harvard Kennedy School of Government. All right. Does that about uh, sum you up, Sean? It does. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So, Sean, you've been in the digital health space for a while now. So tell us, why did you decide to come and work for a company that focuses on behavioral health? Kind of two reasons. There's the professional reason and there's the personal reason is so often the case with these um, kind of things. You know, I had spent a lot of time in health policy at the White House and the Brookings Institution. And when you just look at healthcare data, where you look at where there are access problems um, in the U.S. healthcare system, mental health is at the top of both of those. So you see things like mental health conditions like depression, anxiety being huge cost drivers when they're comorbid with chronic conditions and, and playing a leading role, I think, in, in driving some of uh, the unnecessary healthcare costs in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, I think employers feel firsthand, but across the, the healthcare delivery system, people are really aware how hard it is to get a therapist when you need it. And that's kind of where my draw to Lyra also ties in with the personal. Early in my career, I tried to use my uh, company's EAP to try to access a therapist to get some help for some anxiety issues that I was dealing with. And as so often the case, the professional became the personal one that I found despite, you know, working in healthcare, having good knowledge of how the system works, that it was incredibly hard to find somebody when you needed it. So I had to call something like 10 therapists to get one to call me back. It took me over a month to get a first session. And then as often uh, the case, the first, you know, couple therapists weren't a good fit. And for somebody who's, you know, dealing with a mental health issue, having to really do a ton of legwork and uh, go through a lot of kind of difficult experiences to get care turns most people off from from getting the care they needed to begin with. So it felt like a worthy cause to, to try to help more people be able to more quickly access mental health care that could be helpful to them. Makes sense. Makes sense. And I, I think you you beautifully described the, the, the problem that we hear so often, you know, from employers with their employees. It's just, it's hard to find somebody and it's hard to get access. So most of the time on this show, we, we really discuss what's wrong with our healthcare system from a financial perspective, i.e. dysfunctional structure, misaligned incentives, all the things that lead to very high medical inflation year in and year out. 
But one thing that we don't talk about very often on this show is, is how our healthcare system is also failing to deliver the care that our society needs. And so there are statistics that suggest that 43 million Americans have a mental health condition, yet 57% of American adults have not received any treatment. Furthermore, there's also a huge documented increase in stress and anxiety, the young adult population here in the US, you can call that our millennial population if you want. So tell us, you know, in your opinion, what is wrong with our healthcare delivery system as it pertains to mental and behavioral health? And you kind of already commented on it, but I'll, I'll let you tackle that question. Well, you know, there's um, mental health pretty broad. Um, you know, there's people like me that were struggling with some situational anxiety and really need access to a therapist so they can show up at work and be productive and not, you know, um, sort of run up unnecessary healthcare costs. There's the kind of other extreme of people who are dealing with much more serious and persistent mental illness, and they may need to touch the system in terms of hospitalizations, rehab facilities, that kind of thing. And I would say from kind of top to bottom, unfortunately, the mental health care system is pretty broken. Where Lyra has started on trying to address some of the issues in our delivery system is really on the access to therapists. So trying to engage people a little bit earlier in their journey who are suffering from depression or anxiety, the 43 million people that, that you talked about. One of the big problems is just how networks have been designed to date. So I always find it a little bit flabbergasting and amazing that for physical healthcare, we cannot prescribe medications, we cannot you know, do procedures or other types of treatments unless somebody has shown that it is proven to, to work to be efficacious and to be safe for patients. Right. Therapy is pretty different. Any licensed therapist can develop their own therapy and start practicing that with a depressed patient despite never having it go through any clinical trial. And there's just huge heterogeneity, even larger than we see in healthcare generally in the mental health space in terms of quality. So uh, Lyra has been really focused on trying to address both the access and the quality problems that I think are pretty prevalent in the delivery system today by trying to partner with therapists that are really high quality, making it more attractive for them to be kind of part of networks and available to employers again, to really make sure that people not only are able to get into care when they need it, but that the care they're getting into actually works. That makes sense. And I wanna dive into both of those things um, a little bit more. So one of the things that you mentioned was quality and that there's no real, I guess, guidelines for therapy treatments. So is what you're saying basically that you know, there's practitioners out there that, you know, there's a wide variation in, in types of therapy and a lot of it doesn't necessarily work. You know, that's absolutely right. I think the common, maybe popular media conception we have of therapy is psychoanalytic therapy. You know, the Freudian analysis, you're going to go lay on a chaise lounge, talk about things your parents did to you when you were two and how that's affecting your life today. <laughs> you know, that's, I think, what most people think of therapy. And there is no evidence that that kind of therapy is helpful for any clinical condition, for anybody with depression, anxiety, trauma that does not work. There's not a study out there that says it works. It could be helpful for people in exploring your life and, you know, finding meaning in things, but it's not going to help clinically. And that's, what's really shocking to me that we actually really need to help reframe and uh, for people, what their expectations of therapy are. There are things like cognitive behavioral therapy, acceptance and commitment therapy. There's a long list of, of evidence-based therapies in the American Psychological Association website that have been tested have been shown in hundreds of randomized control trials to be really life-changing and effective for people struggling with clinical mental health conditions. 
And uh, we've just done a bad job as a system helping patients understand that not all therapy is the same and that not any licensed therapist is going to be using one of the proven therapies that could really have a good shot at making a meaningful difference in their life. Going back to this notion of, of a network. And so I think when it comes to other types of care, right, we expect that in a network, the insurance carrier or whoever's managing the network is credentialing these people and making sure that there is some quality control, right? And so what you're saying is that there just really isn't that same diligence in the behavioral health aspect of a network. That's totally right. And there's, there's two big, I think, components to that. One, you can be a licensed therapist and be using therapies that have never been proven to work. So even if a health plan is doing a good job on the credentialing process, it doesn't mean that the therapists in their network are, are actually going to be using proven treatments. The second part is really for a long time, mental health was just ignored. We didn't understand the connection to physical health. Health plans, you know, oftentimes weren't including it. When we had mental health parity, which I think was an incredibly important step forward, you know, health plans and, and payers of healthcare had to sort of pay attention to mental health more. But the network adequacy standards meant that there was just kind of a, a race to get as many people signed up and listed as in network and to make sure that they were meeting network adequacy standards, but no regard then for whether the people that were helping them meet those standards were actually therapists that were using therapies that were clinically proven and helpful. Let's talk specifically about, I mean, it's, it sounds like you guys are trying to address these two issues of, of access and quality. So tell us exactly how the, the Lyra Health you know, product and service is trying to tackle those issues. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's start with access. So the first thing is, uh, you know, most people who have a, most networks of mental health professionals, they don't really have any idea when somebody's available and when somebody's not available. And so part of the requirement from, uh, from a therapist perspective of being part of the Lyra network is that we do an avail availability verification process on every therapist. Mm -hmm. And we're only going to be recommending therapists to an individual who, you know, a, a patient who needs help if that therapist is available. So kind of unlike the traditional experience where you just go and look at a long list of therapists, you know, and can call anybody in the network. Exactly. Right. We, with Lyra, you're going to be recommended a subset of therapists that have the right clinical expertise for you, but that we've also verified are going to be available. You can actually look in their calendar, see, you know, their new slots over the next two weeks and book an appointment at a time that uh, works for you. Um, and so that piece is, is really huge. And we will then share back with our employer partners too, how fast somebody's starting care. So, you know, the typical wait time today to see a therapist in the U.S. is um, nearly a month. And in Lyra, people generally have their first session in about a week. Wow. So one, I think that's fantastic because too often the consumer experience completely gets forgotten in healthcare. And so what you've just described is a very, I mean, maybe this isn't the right word, but you know, an aggressive approach to improving the consumer experience and, and making it easy. That's absolutely true, Michael. And I think what is important to think about too, is that, you know, we're all humans are creatures of convenience. If it's easy, we're going to take advantage of something more. Yes. But if you are depressed, if you are struggling with anxiety, you by definition are going to be more likely to drop out and not seek services if there are any barriers in your way. So by making an experience, you know, really simple, removing all the friction from it and making it clear, you know, when you can get an appointment and make that happen in the moment that somebody has the courage to reach out for help, 
you're simply just going to, with that alone, and end up, end up helping a lot more people than you would otherwise. We talk about stigma a lot as being the big barrier for people not seeking care. And while I think stigma is real, I think the much bigger barrier is that we have just made a pretty onerous and, and high friction experience for people to get help when they need it. And to me, the thing that we should prioritize is in that moment when somebody is seeking help to make it easy. And I think Lyra has proven with the employers we work with today that just by doing that, we see seven to 10 times the engagement rates that traditional EAPs see. Got it. I want to go back to the network adequacy or, or, or access issue. You know, right now, we've got our clients just screaming about problems with access to behavioral health providers. And basically, they get complaints from employees who they want to see somebody, they want to talk to somebody, and they can't get in to see anybody. And they want to see somebody within that network, whether it's the EAP network or it's a carrier's you know, behavioral health network. What we have heard anecdotally is that you know providers are just, they don't want to accept payment that's provided via an EAP or via a, a you know, behavioral health provider network. And so they've just opted out. They've got their patient base. They've uh, decided that you know, they're going to a cash you know, system. And, and so empl- employees consistently have trouble finding somebody within a network or that has availability, right? And so you're tackling the availability, but what about just getting providers, yeah. you know, into your network? You know, how are you, how are you addressing that? That's a, a huge part of, I think, what needs to be fixed in mental health care. And I'll share how Lyra has, has tackled that and, and how I think we've done it pretty successfully. When we first started trying to build out a network, we wanted to reach out to those high quality therapists that from all the data we could collect, were the ones that were clearly using and trained in these evidence-based treatments that they know to work. As we reached out to those high quality therapists, we found time and time again, the exact thing that you described, Michael, that they were like, you know what? I don't do networks, I take cash pay. And we were like, huh, you know, this is a, this is a problem because the people that are gonna deliver the best care aren't in any networks today. So we started asking those therapists, you know, why? Like, why aren't you part of the network? And we heard several things that felt pretty addressable and solvable with some technology and some thoughtful solutions. The first is that mental health looks a little bit like primary care did maybe 15, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Most therapists are in you know, their own small private practice, which means that they don't have administrative staff, they don't have back office staff. And we kept hearing time and time again that for every hour of therapy, every therapy session they would deliver, if they were gonna bill a health plan or an EAP, filling out the paperwork for that claim took them something like 30 minutes. So 30 minutes of paperwork for every hour of patient care when you as the clinician are doing that paperwork means you can see you know, one third to half as many patients in a week as you could if you were in private practice and, and taking cash. So right away we said, okay, let's streamline the paperwork. Let's make it digital to be able to submit the information that you need to get paid. And we can reduce the 30 minutes of paperwork down to two or three minutes. So that was the first thing. The second thing was also related to payment, as, as you might imagine, when they would complete the 30 minutes of paperwork, the therapist would complete that paperwork for a health plan or an EAP, share that the payment terms were something like 45, 60, um, you know, 90 days. And so again, when you're running your own small private practice to have to wait two to three months to get paid, that's a big deal from being able to manage your business. Yes. And for our perspective, there was again, if, if once we got the information that you know, a therapist had completed a visit, and shared with us the, the details that we needed, we can just initiate a direct deposit and you know that day and have you get paid in a couple days instead of a couple months. The third thing that we would hear is that when you are listed on a network as a therapist, 
patients just, you know, kind of reach out too blind because the network's not giving you any information that, hey, this therapist is an expert in this, or that therapist doesn't treat that condition. So therapists would tell us that they would have all these first phone calls or first sessions with a patient who in the process of that first meeting would reveal that maybe they're struggling with an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. And that therapist is really good for depression and anxiety, but doesn't have the training or the comfort to help somebody with an eating disorder. That therapist being empathetic by definition of being a therapist would then spend a lot of their time calling colleagues, trying to find care for that individual, which is again, time out of their week that they could be providing clinical care to other patients. So at Lyra, we thought, okay, if we can offer a model to a therapist where we streamline their paperwork, we make it really fast to get paid, and we really work with them when they're signing up for Lyra to understand what are the patients that you're great at treating and what kind of conditions do you not like treating, and then only send you know, the right kinds of patients to the right kinds of providers, we could reduce and eliminate a lot of friction for providers from the system, bring a lot of therapists that are really high quality that had previously been sort of out of networks experience altogether, and make them available to employers and their employees again. What's been the provider reaction? The provider reaction has been really amazing. So we now work with almost 3,000 therapists across the U.S., um, and we build that out um, for every single customer that we launch. So we're very methodical about adding providers as we have demand Mm -hmm. um, so that providers can start getting patients from Lyra and see the experience. We do regular events for our providers. We do MPS scoring to make sure that they're happy with us and they love us. And we get really great results. And two testaments to that, I think, are one, about 25% of the providers that are in our network today are referrals from other therapists that were working with us. So we wow. see once we start working with some therapists in a the community, they start referring their colleagues. We now have several hundred therapists a month that apply to join Lyra. And we end up only accepting something like 10 or 15% of them once they go through our quality curation process. But we're really seeing that therapists want to be part of the system if it's easy and if it's doable for them to be in it. Well, how interesting. So as I hear you speak about this, it almost looks like you've positioned yourself as, you know, really a service provider, not only for the employee, but also trying to create and deliver value for the provider. If you're getting NPS scores from providers, I mean, that's a completely different approach, you know, building a relationship with a provider than, than what has probably been historically done from a, you know, a carrier or a traditional network standpoint. We view the providers as Lira's most important asset. And so if we're going to be able to serve employees, you know, patients, employees, and their family members well, if we're going to be able to add value to our employers, it's because we have amazing providers that are using really high quality treatments and we're enabling them with the tools to do a great job. So we offer our providers free continuing education. They can get one-on-one consults with experts if they you know, run up on a you know, clinical situation that they wanna to talk to another professional about. Um, and we continually build out the digital tools that we offer to our providers to really you know, help them enhance their practices and feel like they're practicing at the top of their games. And that, that is critical to I think our ongoing success. I wanna go back to this notion of you're working to solve the access, right? You're, you're working to make it easier on the front end for the employee. But then there's this notion of quality, right? There's, there's different, you know, not all therapies are treated equal, right? So you've mentioned a couple times an evidence-based approach to behavioral health and, you know, why that's important. So can you talk a little bit more of that? And I think, you know, I've, I've done a little bit of reading on you guys. You, you mentioned a three-legged stool approach. So can you, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, well, I think it's first to help kind of define 
for people why, you know, evidence-based treatments are important. I think there's yeah. something just to say that there's a study and to know that, you know, things should be studied. But from our perspective, there are three main reasons why we think employers and, and patients should really care about evidence-based treatments and using evidence-based therapy. The first is to really avoid harm. So there are treatments practiced by licensed therapists that have actually been shown to increase psychological suffering. So if you wow. take certain types of therapies and start delivering them to somebody with PTSD, you can actually make those conditions worse, not better. So in that case, it just feels ethically and you know, financially responsible to not do that. The second thing for us is, you know, it's great to try experimental treatments that have never been proven. We know that evidence-based treatments have efficacy rates of 60-70%, the kinds of, you know, efficacy rates that you'd love to see in clinical trials for drugs or, or the other, other types of treatments. So we have treatments that are really effective today. We've just made it confusing to find. The third thing to us, very much from the employer perspective, we should be using our resources effectively. So we think probably over, as we've analyzed networks, probably over half of the people in most who are getting therapy through a health plan or an EAP today are getting non-evidence-based therapy. So employers and patients are paying out money for treatments that you know we have no idea if they work or actually know that they're probably not providing clinical benefit. And so it, there's just, I think, a lot of wasted spend going on right now as employers very admirably try to make sure that their employees are getting you know access to, to good care. That has been sort of our philosophy on why evidence-based treatments matter and you know, we've then really built a data-driven approach to trying to find those providers that are trained in and using those treatments that, that are proven and, and that are helpful. That was actually my next question is, so how do you figure out, you know, you've got a, a provider, Joe or Jill Smith, right? Yeah. And how do you know that Joe or Jill is practicing in an evidence-based manner? And once you identify them, how are you ensuring in the future there's, there's a quality control to that? The first thing that we do is we have a database and um, to our knowledge, it's the largest database of US uh, or the largest behavioral health database in the US. And we have dozens of different data sources that we pull in and we actually rate every single licensed mental health therapist in the country with an evidence-based treatment score. So examples of the kinds of data that we're looking for there to make that, that score. We will look at where a therapist trained. Did they train at a psychoanalytic uh, you know, training institution that suggests they're trained in non-evidence-based treatments? Um, or did they go to a, you know, do their training at a place that's known for really being great at, at cognitive behavioral therapy? We will then scrape um, you know, their, all their public profiles and look you know, if they're listing evidence-based treatments um, and they're not listing any non-evidence-based treatments, that's a sign for us that, you know, okay, they're, they're probably using those treatments but we'll then connect that to the conditions that they say they also treat. So part of what it means to deliver evidence-based therapy is that the therapy that you're using has a clearly defined population for which you're treating. So it's not that any form of therapy is, you know, the right treatment for any type of condition. And so we want to make sure that if the types of therapies that therapists lists using mm -hmm. align with the types of conditions they treat. So we use that database to, to make sure that somebody's scoring highly and not being disqualified from our network for using poor quality treatments. But then we'll actually do a live clinical vetting. So every therapist that in our network has been interviewed um, by somebody on Lyra's team. We will ask them a set of structured questions around you know, how they deliver evidence-based treatments. Do they know the skills and some of the core tenets of the types of treatments they say they use? How do they track progress with their patients? And this is really important. Evidence-based treatments require progress and outcomes monitoring, where you are using clinically validated tools, things like the PHQ-9 for depression or the GAD-7 for anxiety, 
And every couple sessions, you are checking in with a patient, having them take this outcomes assessment and seeing if the patient is making progress, if they're seeing less severe symptoms over time. And if not, that provider then knows that they need to go recalibrate their treatment. And that's called feedback informed therapy and has been shown in clinical trial after clinical trial to lead to much better outcomes for patients. And so Lyra requires that all of our providers enable Lyra to do clinical outcome screening on the, the Lyra patients they are treating so we can see if a provider is actually helping somebody get better and in what time frame. And that really ties into our ongoing quality curation once a provider joins the network. So we try to do that data-driven and, and clinical vetting up front, but we're never going to be perfect 100% of the of time. And so we have an entire team at Lyra, our clinical quality team led by a, a, a PhD psychologist, a licensed psychologist, and she and her team sit down every week and review whether the cadence and the types of treatments that are being delivered align with evidence-based treatments. We review all the clinical outcomes to make sure that you know providers are consistently getting patients better. Um, and we also look at cost. And so we can combine all of those variables to get a real picture of the value that our providers are delivering to our patients and to our ultimate customers, the employers. You know, are our patients using evidence-based treatments? Are they getting people better? And are they doing it at a reasonable cost point? And we will essentially curate providers out of our network or not send them any more patients if we're really concerned about their quality. Or we will, you know, kind of pause on sending patients to a provider, check in with them and do some kind of educational work to figure out, you know, if they're kind of uh, doing okay, but not great, what's going on there. And so today for right now, for example, about 10% of the providers in our network are not being recommended to any patients due to either quality or cost concerns that we're investigating. And we take that seriously and view it as a testament to our ongoing dedication to making sure the value of care that we're delivering is as high as possible. Okay. We've got the, the access, you know, serving providers, you know, the, the, the quality of care and making sure that it's, it's meeting a certain standard, which I think is great. One of the things that we've heard before with traditional networks is that the reimbursement is low. And so that's another reason providers don't you know, want to participate in a network aside from the other challenges you mentioned. Has that been something that you've had to address as well with providers as far as, you know, bringing them into the Lyra Health Network? Yeah, it is. And, and thank you for raising it. It's an important part of the reason that, that providers are out of the system today. I think health plans and the rates that we've gotten used to paying are pretty low and it's sort of understandable because a lot of the therapists that you're paying aren't actually delivering, you know, meaningful clinical outcomes. So at Lyra, we've sort of made a bargain with our therapists and with the employers that are ultimately, you know, paying the therapists through Lyra. And that is we are willing to pay you not uh, the cash rate maybe that you would get, but a fair market rate that's higher than you'd get from a traditional health planner in EAP if you're willing to do, you know, two important things. One is you're willing to let us collect clinical outcomes so we can both curate our own network but share back with our employers you know, you're paying a little bit more per session, but people are actually getting better and we can measure that for you. Sure. And then the second piece is letting us connect with their calendars or verify their availability so we always know who's a, who, who has, you know, new slots to see new patients. And so, you know, when I talk to employers and when, when folks at Lyra talk to employers, we say, you know what, you're going to pay a little bit more on a per session basis, but your members are going to get consistently into care quickly and they're going to get better and when you compare that to a lot of the wasted spend that is unfortunately happening today on providers that maybe you're paying a little bit less, but aren't actually helping somebody clinically improve, we hope that is a, 
opportunity to actually invest in something that creates real value. Absolutely. I mean, I think the pain threshold is pretty high for a lot of employers. And so I think that makes sense. I think there has to be, there should be a dollar value, you know, in return for, for a quality value. So I think that makes sense. You know, we're already sort of seeing too that, and it feels intuitive to me that investing in higher quality mental health and actually getting people better also has real meaningful financial returns, both in lower healthcare costs, um, but also in just better workplace productivity. So it feels kind of simple to me that if, you know, having maybe been someone who struggled with, with anxiety in my own past, if you're showing up at work with anxiety issues, panic issues, you're feeling depressed, you are not going to be, uh, you know, performing at the same level of productivity. You're going to be taking more days off of work. You're not going to be as collaborative or creative with your colleagues. And you're more likely like to go and, and have higher medical costs for a range of reasons. Before I ended up getting help for my anxiety about uh, 10 years ago, I had no idea that what I was struggling with was a mental health issue. I was having tightness in my chest. I was having shortness of breath. And I assumed as like a healthy person, otherwise healthy person in my 20s that I must have been having harder lung problems. <laughs> and so I spent eight hours in urgent care getting what felt like every test known to mankind done on my heart and lungs. You know, nothing, of course, at the end of the day, every test was negative. But I actually can't imagine being somebody who works in healthcare what the bill was for my day in urgent care, where if we would have had a better process of helping, you know, engage people like myself, letting them know what anxiety looks like and feels like earlier so that I didn't have to go to urgent care and instead I went and saw a therapist. Um, there's huge cost savings for employers in that. And in fact, one of the really, I think, remarkable things that we've seen across every single Lyra customer to date is even after you control for gender, age, tenure at a company, geography, if somebody goes and gets treated with Lyra, they are 50% less likely to leave their company either from being let go or from quitting in a given year. So you see 50% reduced turnover for people that have gotten Lyra compared to the, the company's whole population. But the sort of more shocking part to me is despite the fact that there are people, you know, also getting therapy at those companies through their health plan, and they look demographically identical to the people that are using sure. Lyra, they're actually 50% more likely to leave the company. So when you go and you're seeing a non-evidence-based provider through your health plan for your depression, you know, you end that six months of treatment actually feeling worse, feeling less motivated, more down, and you are more likely to either not perform well and get let go or end up, uh, you know, deciding that you're so unhappy that you just need to change and, and leaving the company. And, you know, replacing those workers dealing with that lost productivity, that's a huge cost strain for employers today in the tens or hundreds of billions of dollars that I think can really be addressed with higher quality mental health care. That's a good point. I mean, that speaks to the the absenteeism and presenteeism, you know, challenges when people just aren't, they're not all there, right? They're not, they're not feeling well. And truly turnover for any organization is, is an absolute killer. So those are good statistics to know about. You know, your website mentions that there are coaching programs and self-care apps, which wouldn't necessarily be part of maybe a traditional mental health interaction with a provider or an EAP. So can you expand on that for our audience? Yeah. So we have seen, because we're assessing people's severity and their conditions with these clinical outcome screeners, we've seen that about 20% of the people that reach out to Lyra for help don't have what would be considered a diagnosable or clinical mental health condition. So they're not struggling from situational depression or generalized anxiety disorder, but they are struggling and they reached out for help. And the two most common reasons that we would see when somebody was in that circumstance was either one, 
there was a lot of workplace stress going on and they were just feeling really overwhelmed, having a hard time balancing things, or they were going through a difficult relationship issue and mm-hmm. you know, they went through a bad breakup, a divorce, and they didn't know how to cope with it. So these are people that have a real need, but it's not yet a clinical need, but it could develop to be one if we don't intervene and provide some support. So at Lira, we thought, you know, it doesn't, from a value perspective, make a lot of sense for an employer to be sending somebody with, you know, mild to moderate workplace stress to a licensed PhD therapist. Instead, let's set them up with a certified coach who applies a Lira program that is very customized and and based in evidence-based principles for things like stress and relationship issues. Um, You can have a weekly face-to-face session with a coach, and then that coach will help you work on a number of different skill-building exercises during the week. And so instead of needing something like 12 sessions with a PhD therapist, you can get something like six sessions, make amazing progress, see reduced stress levels, higher um, self-reported productivity scores, but, you know, in half the time and for about a third of the cost. And so that component of really offering either digital self-care or digital tools with coaching to be able to treat people that don't yet have a, a clinical condition but need help felt like it was the right thing to do for those individuals um, and also the best kind of value investment from a, a company standpoint. I think it also speaks to the to the fact that given we have a multi-generational workforce and different portions of the workforce you know, want to engage differently, I think that's a nice option to give people who, you know, maybe they're more comfortable working through an app or, you know, a, you know digital conversation than maybe a face-to-face. I think it's really true for men. And maybe as a male, I can, I can label us in that way. I felt so uncomfortable when I was reaching out for help to have to call a 1-800 number and talk to somebody who wasn't going to be my therapist or my coach and explain to them what I was struggling with. It felt embarrassing and it felt kind of unnecessary in today's world. And I think that's a big part of the Lyra experience is you can pull out your phone and book an appointment. And the first person you're going to talk to is going to be the professional who you're going to be working with. Or, you know, you don't have to talk to somebody at all. You can go do a bunch of digital clinically proven exercises to help you reframe your thinking or, you know, get unstuck from, from thought patterns that are really leading you to not be as healthy and productive as you want to be. You've mentioned this in, in, in conversations with one of your team members. Lyra was really positioned as an alternative to a traditional EAP. As we talk, you know, more and more, I mean, you guys are solving, aiming to solve and, and appear to be making progress on a lot of problems that plague a traditional behavioral health network. So are you guys an EAP replacement or would you consider yourself more of a supplement to a traditional behavioral health network? It's a tough question in some ways to answer just because I think it's a bit of positioning. So what we've seen is that companies are offering EAPs today. Employees, you know, they're positioned to be there for things like anxiety and depression, but employees aren't using them. And when they do use them, they have a bad experience. So it felt like the right place to start from our standpoint to be able to say, you don't need to offer that EAP today. We can offer enhanced mental and emotional health services, really reimagine what an EAP can kind of be as part of your benefits package. And I should say we also either partner ourselves offer the kind of full spectrum of those other EAP traditional services from critical incident support to work-life services as well. We are focused on improving the mental health system and the EAP is a starting point for us. We are exploring other ways to be able to expand our set of services by integrating more deeply into the health plan experience to be able to offer hopefully down the line things like psychiatry for medication management, to be able to offer, you know, higher severity people who might need care for, for years. 
um, or a higher level of care to be able to provide that support to them. So that's all part of our, our longer term roadmap. That felt like starting by partnering with companies as an EAP was the fastest way to, I think, really solve a problem and deliver real value to employers and start to open up, uh, you know, that access issue. Down the road, a self-insured employer could, if they wanted to, probably engage you in a different way. We are actively working on those kinds of solutions to really expand the depth and degree of our service and and do exactly uh, what you described, Michael. So that's certainly our roadmap that we're really excited about and working towards. Okay. Well, I hope I didn't ruin the surprise for anybody. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so are there any other you know services you're providing to your clients that you feel is unique that you'd like to mention here? I mean, we've already covered quite a bit. Yeah. Well, you know, to me, what I am most excited about right now, that's a little bit nearer term on the roadmap that we're going to be starting to roll out in late 2018, is I kind of view Lyra's approach to bringing technology into mental health in, in kind of three waves today. The first was we really took a very data-driven approach to being able to find high-quality providers. And that's that provider database we have and, and really being able to identify those folks that are going to be able to deliver differentiated clinical outcomes. Mm-hmm. The second wave was making it easy for people to be able to find and book appointments with providers. So kind of move away from our analog system, let you use your phone in the same way you shop on eBay or Amazon um, today, let you be able to find a, a mental health therapist in that same way and book an appointment. We are now entering our third wave, which I'm particularly excited about. We're already doing it a bit with our coaching program, and we're going to start doing it with therapy later in 2018. And that's integrating digital kind of self-care experiences into the actual therapy experience. So what we have seen is that when somebody does kind of digital self-care only, those tools can be really helpful, but most people have a hard time sticking with them over time. You see pretty high dropout rates. Where therapy, you see, you know, really actually good adherence rates when somebody starts with a Lyra therapist, but we've always been struck by the notion that there are 168 hours in the week. And the traditional model is you go to therapy one hour a week, despite the fact that your depression is affecting you every minute and every hour of that week. So what we are going to be piloting later this year is having those same face-to-face sessions with a therapist. But at the end of your session with a therapist, that therapist is going to say, hey, Sean, I think, you know, we've really talked a lot today about not getting stuck in negative thought patterns. Here are a couple exercises that I'm going to push to you on your phone that I want you to be able to to work on throughout the week. I'm going to be monitoring you, checking in. We'll talk about it at the next session. And I'm going to provide you some support that if you are really just feeling stuck at some point during the week, you can either message me or you can go watch some videos, do some activities to help you break out of that negative experience so that you can have support every minute of the week and that you'll be building skills every minute of the week so that, you know, you can really make progress faster and feel better sooner. And that is what I am particularly excited about and I think is going to be even more transformational to how mental health care is delivered today um, than the, the things that I think Lyra has been able to do today. I think that's great. I think, I think it's, it's logical and it makes sense. And when you describe it that way, it almost feels like the traditional way of, again, seeing somebody maybe once a week, it almost feels antiquated in the current state of, of how we are able to access information and tools you know, digitally and on our phone. It does feel odd that we sort of do it in this antiquated way. On the other hand, the, the connection with a human being and therapy is particularly important. Therapy is hard. Like you are going to talk about hard things in your life. It is not like an enjoyable Facebook-like experience where you're going to go and it's really fun to like people's pictures. Like it's really hard emotional work. And that's where I really think the combination of having that expert, professional, clinical, human support, 
plus the digital interventions that can really be there for you every minute of the day and accelerate your progress is going to be a pretty transformational combination. All right. So we haven't really talked about fee structure. So, you know, in a typical EAP model, it is, you know, just a PEPM. So um, is that how you guys are structured as well? I actually have something of a personal vendetta against PEPMs. So uh, <laughs> the, the reason is, you know, when you're a company like Lyra, if we were getting paid a fixed fee for a service like mental health, where companies want more people in need to be getting in services, we would lose money on every single patient that, that we treated. So the more people that would use Lyra in a year, the less money we would make on a given contract. And I think that's kind of how you see EAPs playing out today where they try to get just enough engagement that they don't get fired, where they don't get too much engagement that they don't make any money on your contract. That is just not the world that Lira wants to live in. We want to have our financial success be from, you know, really engaging all of your members with mental and emotional health conditions, getting them into great care and getting them better. And so our fee structure, over 90% of our fees are based on utilization, access um, and quality outcomes. Um, that, you know, we're willing to go at risk to say we shouldn't be getting financially rewarded if we're not delivering people care, if they're not getting that care quickly, and if they're not getting care that's getting them better. And to us, you know, to align our incentives that way means that every person at Lyra is focused on how do we make the member experience better? How do we ensure that the care we're delivering is really providing superior clinical outcomes? Um, and that's sort of how our business needs to think every day and act every day. And, uh, and I think our, our employers that we partner with kind of feel that in, in the types of uh, services that we provide. Got it. So, so it is, it's not a PEPM and I get, I get the, the, um, uh, the comment on that. I mean, it can be absolutely a misaligned incentive, right? I mean, you make less when utilization is higher, which is, which defeats the point and utilization on most DAPs is typically putrid. It's one to 2%, right? The way that it works, if I understood you correctly, is that the full cost of the office visit is going to be passed through and you guys are, are just a portion of that or a margin on top of that uh, cost. Is that yep, accurate? That's, that's true. Yep. We do have fees that are tied to, to headcount that you know generally are something like 10% of our contract that are going to be able to cover you know account management services, the technology yep. platform, the network curation, some of those some of those kinds of things, the 24-7 access to our on-staff uh, mental health professionals. Um, but, you know, even those fees, we, we put, um, you know, the majority of them uh, at rest based on performance and would love to explore, as I think mental health gets a richer, richer in data set under it, you know, how do we have essentially all of our fees be based on delivering clinical outcomes and getting people better? And you can hear our CEO and co-founder, David, talk about that as, is once we get the right data set in place, that is, is how he wants to structure this business so that people at Lyra eat, you know, sleep and do nothing but think about how do we get people better when they get into care. Do you guys have a, a target market that you're kind of going after at this point? I mean, is there a, a size, employer size limitation that you're, you're willing to work with? Yeah, so we are excited to partner with employers who have uh, over a thousand uh, U.S. employees and are typically self-insured. Self-insured is not necessarily a requirement, but what we see is that when employers launch Lyra, fewer people start therapy through their health plan. Fewer people end up getting on mental health medications through their health plan. So you, de you see decreases in you know, therapy utilization and, and RX utilization um, on the health plan side 
And so, you know, I think there's a nice sort of economic relationship when a company is self-funded that they get to realize those reductions in costs on the health plan side when they roll out Lyra. What are some of the obstacles that you've encountered to an employer saying yes to implementing your service so far? So I will say it's been really meaningful that I think more and more employers are starting to prioritize mental health. So so I was at uh, the conference board uh, event a couple months ago, and it was just remarkable to me that every single you know, breakout set of breakout sessions had at least one uh, breakout session on mental health and that all of those sessions were standing room only. It was just really meaningful to see that I think benefits leaders um, are being really progressive and thoughtful about how they want to solve the mental health problem. That being said, there are so many exciting things that you get to do as a benefits leader and figuring out how you offer a competitive you know, set of benefits that really support and drive members health. We've talked to companies that say we really want to do something in mental health, but we've decided we're prioritizing parenting this year and we need to roll out some fertility benefits or new parent benefits and come back to mental health a year later. And I totally get that trade-off and excited with those employers to continue the conversation until they feel like the time is right. We've talked about a lot of things uh, so far on this interview, but uh, if there was one question that I should have asked you, but I didn't, what would it be? No, I I had thought maybe you were going to ask me something like that. And uh, I had some ideas and then you asked such great questions, Michael. Uh, (laughs) Most of them uh, were answered uh, or you gave me a chance to at least provide uh, Lyra's perspective. So, you know, maybe one question that I think is really important to mental health and that Lyra doesn't have the answer in yet. And so I think we've taken a, a bold first step, but ties back to this idea around clinical outcomes. You know, you mentioned Sean Duffy and the amazing work that Omada is doing and that they can measure progress and get paid based on reduced pounds. That is super quantifiable and and objective, right? Like you lose a pound, you lost a pound. There's no sort of debating it. Mental health is still a little bit more subjective in our ability to, you know, do sort of both diagnoses, but then ongoing outcomes. And so... Lyra, I think, really importantly, is focusing on that and using the best in class that we have today. So clinically validated outcomes assessments that are used by the FDA and others to be able to assess what somebody's symptoms are and whether they're seeing improvement. But at the end of the day, it's still a self-reported patient measure that, you know, a patient's going to repeatedly take this outcomes assessment throughout treatment. I think there is huge and interesting opportunity in mental health to figure out how we can more quantitatively assess whether somebody is feeling better and making progress. And I don't think we have an answer to it yet, but I think it's going to be exciting to think about how we can use you know, advances in medical science and technology to really help quantify both somebody's improvements and their symptoms and then the difference that that makes on their lives. I really appreciate what you guys are doing in this space and, you know, pushing the envelope for for innovation in a segment of healthcare that, that's really been, you know, feels like it's been ignored for a long time. So kudos to you guys for what you're doing. So how can people interested in your product and service get in touch with you? Yeah. So, I mean, the first thing is you can go to lirahealth.com. Um, you can request a demo. Uh, we have case studies on there from some of the employers that we're working with today, and they, they share in their own words the results that they've seen with Lyra. Um, you can also email uh, my team directly at partners at lirahealth.com, and we'd be happy to you know, set up a time to meet with you or a phone call to, to go through any questions that you might have and describe in a little bit more detail what we do and how we partner with employers. Sounds great. Well, on behalf of our listeners and myself, I want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to join us. I think it's been a great dialogue and hopefully it was insightful for our listeners. It was my pleasure, Michael. Thank you so much for having us and for taking the time to 
focus on on mental health and uh, to help employers across the country think about offering progressive and meaningful benefits to their employees and their family members. You bet. You bet. And to our listeners, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Reconstructing Healthcare. And with that, we'll sign off wherever you're at. We hope you have a great day and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Reconstructing Healthcare. If you like what you heard here, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. If you're interested in continuing the conversation, please visit us at www.reconstructinghealthcare.com where you can access the show notes for this episode and links to Lyra Health's website and contact information. Lastly, we welcome your feedback on the content and interviews we're bringing to you on the show. Please leave us a review and let us know what you think. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Reconstructing Healthcare Podcast.